from Cambridge 105 Radio. This is Sue Keogh's Business of Cambridge. Series 2, Episode 7, Innovate, is supported by our friends at Cambridge Wireless, the membership organisation for the tech community. Hello and welcome to the Business of Cambridge. Coming up shortly is Kirsten Smith from Face to Face HR talking about workplace wellbeing. But first of all, we're focusing on innovation. Joining me today is Simon Thomas, CEO of graphene startup Paragraph, and Charles Sturman, Senior Director of Product Marketing at Huawei, who spent his career working with leading tech companies in the Cambridge cluster. I wanted to find out about the approaches they take when developing new products and what makes Cambridge such a hotbed of innovation itself. So Charles, Huawei is one of those companies that everyone's heard of, Chinese owned, getting on for 200,000 employees worldwide, and the world's second largest smartphone supplier after Samsung, even ahead of Apple. But what's the Cambridge angle? What do you focus on here? Well. Not a lot of people will know that Huawei has its own chipset company, which is quite a sizable player in the world. That business is called High Silicon, and we supply many hundreds of millions of chips per year to a whole raft of companies all across the world. So the activity in Cambridge is through an acquisition actually about uh, six years ago of a spin out from Cambridge Silicon Radio, a team that pioneered low power connectivity, radio connectivity for Internet of Things. And that team is still there in Cambridge. It's grown a bit, but our major focus in Cambridge is developing chips for Internet of Things. And there was a lot of controversy in 2020 around Huawei and various measures brought in by the UK government. Is this starting to settle down now? Well, I think there's been so much press about all of that that's gone on. It doesn't really impact on us. Uh, We are, as I say, focused on innovating and developing new chip products. So the whole kind of uh, handset thing and 5G stuff is really outside of our, our expertise area. Simon, tell me about Paragraph and the product that you develop. What are the different applications? How is it used? Yeah, Paragraph is a small business that was spun out of the University of Cambridge a few years ago now and our products are based around um, graphene the two-dimensional material that's taken a lot of press over the past few years which has some extraordinary properties we we actually develop electronic devices that use graphene as the active layer in those devices so our first product which is on the market at the moment is a magnetic field sensor and because we use graphene in it it performs orders of magnitude better than magnetic field sensors that exist today. Uh, Why is this important? Well, it it means that the field sensor can be used for many different applications that other sensors couldn't be used for in the past. So, for example, as as an application, we're currently using this sensor in cryogenic applications. So this is very, very low temperature applications where you wouldn't be able to use similar sensors in the past. So we're opening up new fields of technology and emerging technologies and even new fields of science with the uh, products that we're making. And I'm seeing a lot of activity among other Cambridge companies as well involving graphene, which, like you say, just sounds like this incredible material, a million times thinner than a human hair, 200 times stronger than steel. What are the other sectors where you're seeing it being used? <laughs> yeah, it is, it is quite a wonder material, as people have coined it in the past Graphene is a single layer of carbon atoms, and when you get down to that sort of dimension, the material starts to take on some wonderful new properties. So as you mentioned there, it's very, very strong, and also it's very, very thin. But 
actually the interesting properties for us are the electrical properties of the material. So it's actually more conductive than copper in terms of its electrical performance, and it's the most conductive material thermally in the world. So for us, it's about how do we leverage the properties of graphene in, for example, the far future, computer chips. If we could put graphene into what's currently a computer logic that's made of silicon, we could increase the performance of that computer chip by over a thousand times and reduce the amount of power it requires by about 50%. And so today we're talking about innovation, and I'm really interested in the process itself. So Simon, what happens at the start? Do you, do you begin with very specific outcomes in mind? Yes, uh, I mean, well, working with graphene is, is as I mentioned, uh, an emerging material. So we are really at the, the, the far end of developing applications, really at the cutting edge of, of what we want to do. So we do start with ideas about where we want to go with our products, but really, once we've made those devices, it's down to the end users and customers to define how they can best use the devices we make. So we will have targets. For example, as I mentioned there, one of our far future targets is making computer chips out of graphene. But along that pathway, we'll converse with potential partners, potential customers, and understand what it is they want to get out of a product and develop towards that end goal. So for example, probably one of the next products we're hoping to release this year is a biosensor that's made of graphene. So if you put graphene into a biosensor, you have the opportunity to increase the speed at which you can detect a certain biomarker in a fluid. This is something that's been speculated by a lot of people over many years. And because now, and if we look at the global situation, possibly because of the onset of COVID, this has become a much more demanded type of device. So Charles, it'd be interesting to get your perspective as well, because you've worked with so many different companies like Arm and Ubisense, uh, as well as Huawei. Is the trend now to get a minimum global product out there and then refine it as you get the user feedback? Or are companies still trying to create something perfect and complete before it goes to market? Yeah, I was just thinking as Simon was talking, so I've spent quite a lot of time working in chip areas, the chip field. The difficulty with semiconductor in particular, um, it's also true of hardware more generally, I think, as well, is it takes quite a long time to develop the product, right? So in terms of electronic hardware, you're talking probably 12 months or so between concept to um, ready for production. With silicon, you're probably talking about more like 18 to 24 months. So in effect, you have to be thinking two years ahead of the market in terms of when you start to define or specify the product. I think minimum viable product, collaborating, engaging with the marketplace, trying to understand what it is that people are doing is absolutely paramount. I mean, from my experience, and certainly in terms of Huawei and what we do in Cambridge, as I said, Cambridge is generally focused around chip stuff, but we have other development centres in London, Edinburgh, Reading. We also have some periphery work going on in Cambridge as well. And in areas like AI and image processing and optical processing, these kind of deep tech areas of work, you really have to engage all the way through the supply chain with the end users, frankly, with the market vertical and kind of say, how can this technology help you in energy distribution or in healthcare? And you come with some kind of concepts around what could that do and what's the proposition? How, how does that help? How does that add value? And then I think there's a kind of a 
parallel process of, of that, which is very much market focused speculation. Let's kind of try this out and build a proof of concept. But then at the same time, as Simon was highlighting, you do have to have some rigor here. So you're going to have to build out a project plan, a roadmap and figure out how to develop this with milestones and steps, uh, checks and balances as you go through. And I suppose in many ways, that's the kind of concept of lean in terms of the modern approach to software. The, the difference with software and hardware, though, of course, as I said, is that it's quite costly and difficult to re-spin as you work through the project. You're listening to The Business of Cambridge, and today I'm talking innovation with Charles Sturman from Huawei and Simon Thomas from Paragraph. Charles, I'm keen to get your perspective on the Cambridge ecosystem and what makes our region such a powerhouse when it comes to turning innovation into commercial success. So what's so special about Cambridge? Well, I think first thing I notice about Cambridge compared with other parts of the country and, and other places in the world is there is a very strong technology consciousness, scientific consciousness in Cambridge, I, you know, not just around the university and, and spin outs and companies involved in that in Cambridge, but even just talking to people more generally, um, you know, people probably know somebody or have a family member who's engaged in tech somewhere. So I think there is no shortage of resources, as it were, in the area. But also, strangely, many of those engineering or scientific type people do have some interest and ability in terms of business. I can remember years and years ago when I first moved over from being an engineer into marketing, talking to a bunch of engineers about the new product. And I've been talking to some customers in the States and relaying this is actually what we need to build now. And I got all these questions back from the engineering team about what's the profit margin? How's that going to drive the business forward? Which is quite frustrating at the time. That's that's my job. But, you know, people are interested. I think we have a lot of capability in terms of science. And you see that in, in terms of marketeers and managers and even entrepreneurs in Cambridge, they have a solid background in, in, the, in the tech. And Simon, is this something that's been critical in the success of Paragraph? Because there's just so much talent around that can help you build the product. Absolutely, So It's exactly um, what Charles has just described there. The Cambridge ecosystem, as people like to put it, is quite a unique place, actually. There's a mix of incredible scientific talent, incredible engineering talent, alongside a drive to want to make things in the real world. Cambridge University for us has been an incredible place that we can go to to get people to do our basic science. But then beyond that, there's been many people from the past that have spun out businesses in Cambridge that have now got knowledge on how to make those businesses successful. So there's a whole melting pot of not just the science and the engineering, but the business acumen and all different aspects of, uh, of running a company that, that's available on our doorstep. So although we take mainly younger candidates into the business at the moment, I have a whole network of people who have been entrepreneurs, been CEOs, that I can rely on for advice. Um, and, and that's great. I mean, I don't think you get that in a lot of places in the UK or, or even in the world, I would say. Yeah, I was wondering how it compares to Silicon Valley. Uh, Charles, I think you spent some time out there. What are the kind of parallels, the, the similarities and contrasts between the two? Well, um, I don't think we've got time for me to do that on the show today. <laughs> yeah, I have been struck by the many trips I've made to Silicon Valley, um, you know, selling British technology to American companies, how 
of course, the culture is very can-do, right? Um, and I think there is still a bit of difference there in the sense that in the UK, if you tell your friend, I've got a great idea for a startup, I'm going to go and do this, 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 they'll probably say to you, wow, are you sure? But you have a good job, you have an income, that's a bit crazy. Whereas if you tell somebody that in the US, they'll pat you on the back, say, that sounds fantastic, give me a job, can I invest in you, right? But in terms of similarities, I think over the last, I don't know, maybe maybe 10 years, Cambridge has moved to this perspective where if you have a good idea and you share it with other people, as Simon said, you know, the kind of techno slash entrepreneurial ecosystem, which exists in Cambridge now, you will get a, a lot of airtime. You know, there are a lot of people prepared to listen to your idea and see how they might help by introducing you to somebody or potentially looking to help you with funding or even myself. I've, you know, helped people out that are trying to start something up on a voluntary basis, just from a marketing perspective, because why wouldn't you, you know, try and help somebody? And, and that is exactly the Silicon Valley mentality. Yeah, you mentioned investment. It does seem that round here, the investors do have a deep understanding of tech rather than just looking to invest their money anywhere. Is that something you found as well? Unfortunately, some years back, I and some other guys spun a business out of arm. And uh, that was a medium sized bit. It was kind of 60 people already to start with. So um, we had initial funding from arm and some other sources. When we came to look for the second round of funding, we were already looking at VCs. And the VC market has improved, I think, in, in the UK the last few years. But back then we were looking more at kind of American, international sort of mid-sized VC funds. And that was a time when they were not investing in hardware, especially not chip stuff. Nowadays, there is a renaissance, I think, for chip investments, hardware investments. We've seen that with some uh, very publicly visible uh, investments like the Graphcore AI chip team in Bristol. But I think also, you know, that had we been a smaller venture, even seven, six, seven years ago, we would have had a, a, an easier ride raising smaller funding from early stage investors around the Cambridge area. Now, let me ask both of you, for people listening who are looking to become more innovative in their business, whether it's tech or something else entirely like a restaurant, a retailer or a firm of accountants, what's one thing they should consider if they want to make their innovation a commercial success? What are your thoughts on that, Simon? From my perspective, it's finding the right people. I mean, you can be a great entrepreneur, but you're going to need support, particularly if you haven't done it before, you know, being the first time CEO that I am. Having such a great support network in Cambridge, having those experts around, I would say, make sure you pick out the right people. As, as Charles said, it's, it's quite easy to get, it's quite nice, it's quite easy to get airtime with people in Cambridge. There's a lot of people that will give you their very, very valuable advice for free. So I, I definitely advise people to go out, talk to as many people as they possibly can, because no matter how innovative your technology is, businesses have been started and been successful here before that will have been down the same path as you have. So really, yes, I'd say look for that expertise, take on board everything that everybody says, and then, then make up your own opinion from, from all of the wonderful advice you can get from them. Yeah, I think that's good advice in itself. What about you, Charles? What are those things that you should remember when it comes to innovation, whatever sector you're in? I think following on from what Simon said, it's interesting for me in that the chip business, high silicon I'm representing nowadays, is in effect a startup outside of China. So, you know, a number of these issues are issues I face myself even right now. I think, first of all, 
everything that Simon said is very true. I think you should not wait to engage with the market. The sooner that you can engage with your market base, the better. So I can remember many, many years ago, a friend of mine opening a shop and delaying the opening of his shop until he'd got the sign written very nicely installed above the door. He wanted the shop refurbished and this went on for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I remember thinking at the time, shouldn't you just get the shop open, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. you know, within reason, right, you do need to have a, a, some viable proposition. But again, in my experience, especially in the chip business, you inevitably have to engage with customers using PowerPoint, right? Because it's going to be quite a long time before the chip arrives. So my, to add to what Simon said, I would also say, engage as early as you can with your focus market, understand the needs of the customers that, you know, who you think the customer is, and also be very prepared to pivot when you realize that, your proposition and your target market don't quite gel and you need to kind of move left or right. That's great advice. Thank you so much for joining me today, Charles Sturman from Huawei and Simon Thomas from Paragraph. Thank you, Sue. listening to the Business of Cambridge brought to you by Cambridge Wireless. Our resident expert Kirsten Smith from Face to Face HR has been working closely with business owners facing the challenge of looking after employee well-being when teams are working remotely and facing all sorts of personal challenges in their day-to-day lives. Kirsten, let's talk workplace well-being. Well, Sue, I think obviously the main thing is people potentially becoming isolated. You know, you're not having that day-to-day contact with colleagues generally. You know, if you are, it might be phone calls and Teams meetings here and there. And, you know, sometimes depending on what type of jobs people have, it can be days without speaking to people. So there's definitely that isolation. Possibly... In some cases, it's difficult for people to be around their family, you know, um, and I say that in jest, but obviously there is also seriousness behind that. You can't just check in as, you know, you might pass somebody during the working day and have a quick chat with them, or you might discuss something with somebody and then they might not be sure about it and they might come back to you. And actually, so we're also seeing this massive escalation in workplace disputes, you know, something that could be resolved really, really quickly can really really escalate somebody was at home stewing about something that a colleague said to them which really was a completely off the cuff remark and and actually in all seriousness we are seeing this turn into huge disputes between employers and employees or between different employees yeah another business owner I know said that someone had come in and handed their notice in on a Monday morning completely out of the blue and just over an email that had been misread and the guy had been stewing Ah. over it and stewing over it and there'd been none of those opportunities for those little little interactions where he could have spotted it exactly just thinking on the mental health front so if you're a manager or a business owner and you can sense that someone is really struggling or they're crumbling a bit under the pressure what are those things that you can say to ask in a way that's a little bit more constructive than just how are you or just go for a walk download an app what are those things that you can do that are a little bit more constructive I saw actually a really really simple one the other day on I think it was LinkedIn where somebody said you know my boss said how are you and I said fine and started talking around work and she said no how are you really so I just think maybe sometimes probing a little bit more if somebody just says fine or 
you know, just I think I think just those sort of, those types of questions, really open questions. You know, trying to really dig a little bit more. You know, how are you managing things at the moment? What are your challenges? Those kinds of things can be really really helpful and give that person an opening to to really talk. And are there any resources or tools that you you can recommend? I know that the Mind Charity has got this wellness action plan, for example, that I've seen a few people using. Have you got any tools at your disposal that you could point people towards? <laughs> I guess it really depends on, you know, what works for your business. I definitely think MHFA England have a lot of great resources. There's also another great project called the Happiness Project, which is really around all the different things that make up mental well-being, and that's definitely a really useful tool. And all those resources are free as well, which is which is always a winner. I think also just really being creative within within your own business. I've seen some really great ideas, such as just making sure that there's always something in the diary for a team to look forward to. That's some sort of a social event. Another great example I heard was something called a silent meeting. So often you get people just not not speaking up and you get those people that never, ever speak up. And actually they might be, you know, they might be really suffering. So just having kind of the, yeah, so these things called silent meetings, which are where you you submit agenda items, but nobody has to actually speak during the meeting. It just gets opened up by a manager and they talk around that topic and everybody can start talking about it. You know, it can even be anonymous. And also just generally kind of, making sure that people are having regular contact in some form. Another example I saw of that was a manager calls one person from his team and then that person calls another person and then the next person calls that person. So everyone's getting, you know, differentiation, getting to chat to different people in the team, that environment of supportiveness from the whole team. Some of those ideas sound really good. I was wondering, are you finding that the things that people brought in right at the beginning, like happy hour over Zoom and online quizzes and that kind of thing, has that kind of dropped off? I think it has not it hasn't. I think people are just trying to get more creative with it. You know, I think, mm. uh, you know, we've been quizzed to death really this year, haven't we? It's just, <laughs> yeah. it's just been, um, I think a lot of people are, are really bored of Zoom things but you know I think just getting creative with things doing different things you know I've seen lots of people sending things like I don't know wine tasting or a cheese tasting at home so people get a little package and then then you all do something like that together um so I think it's just making sure that you're not doing the same things again and again yeah so again we see managers become kind of um counsellors creative directors and and managers all in one and and what about managers then themselves so how good are they at taking a break and looking after their own mental health and well-being? And what tips would you would you have to share? Well, I'd say they're not always, and I think it's a real it's a real concern. You know, I've seen so many managers who, as we've discussed, you know, people are having to be mental health counsellors almost, um, emotional support to their teams. And quite often, you know, the question would be who is looking after those managers? So I think it really falls to them to kind of work out their own way of working I think there's a lot of things that they can do and I would definitely recommend things like coaching networking you know sometimes therapy is really necessary um counseling or therapy you know we have all actually just been through a year of ultimate trauma um and I don't think there's any there's any harm in kind of using tools like employee assistance programs to make use of counseling services and I think really the basics the kind of usual suspects exercise water sleep um finding what your ways are to de-stress you know those basics are so important and you know we say them time and time again but actually you know how many of us can honestly say that we are drinking enough water getting enough exercise getting enough fresh air all of those things 
Another great tip that I love is just to shake things up. So really, obviously, we're doing the same things day in, day out. And really to just do something that changes the situation. So it sounds a bit bizarre, but you know, it, it could be it could be tiny. It could be like clearing out a cupboard or it could be rearranging the furniture or it could just be as simple as going out for a walk. So you're really just mentally changing where you are, um, your environment. And that definitely um, has a sort of stimulating effect on the brain. Thank you so much, Kirsten, from Face to Face HR. And I'm off now to put all your tips into practice. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Sue. Next time, we're talking recruitment and the massive impact of COVID disruption on the workforce, plus insights from one of our resident experts into the ways in which businesses are managing Brexit. The Business of Cambridge was presented by Sue Keogh and brought to you in association with Cambridge Wireless, networking opportunities for the local tech community. It's a TDC production for Cambridge 105 Radio and you can find all previous episodes on our website or wherever you find your podcasts.